You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Amen. So good to see each and every one of you. God bless you. So glad that you are here on this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Glad that you took time out of your day to join us this evening. Looking forward to what God's going to do. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of Exodus? We're going to continue a series that we began last week entitled Faith Over Our Fear. And right now, if there was ever a time to kind of Uh, get victory over an area of our life, this would be the area to say, God, I need victory over the fear, over the things that seem to drag me under, that pull me back. And so we're looking at a familiar passage of scripture out of the book of Exodus because it has so many powerful reminders for you and I. And I love how it began and we started last week, how they left in Exodus chapter number 12. And we learned last week that we were to mark the moments And I know it's difficult at times to mark difficult moments, but there was meaning in those moments. And I know we have come to a point where some of us may feel like this is the end, but then we realize it's not an end, it's an exit. And instead of looking to escape the things that we're going through, instead of looking to see how God can just get rid of it, instead we're saying, Lord, I'm going to allow you to lead me to your exit. God, lead me through this, just like the children of Israel. And so that's where we began last week, and we're going to continue on. But I want to begin by opening up with a question. How many of you know that you are a victorious Christian? Like, we know that, right? Like, we know that. Let me ask you a follow-up question. How many of you believe that you are a victorious Christian? See, there's a difference between knowing it and believing it because belief affects behavior and right now with everything that we're watching on the television with everything we're reading in the paper with everything we're seeing in the world there's a difference between a Christian that knows they are a victorious Christian and the Christian who believes that they are a victorious Christian because my belief will always influence my behavior And when I believe that God is good, it does not matter the circumstances that are happening around me because my belief is informing my behavior. So therefore, I'm not upset, I'm not mad, I'm not disgruntled, I'm not irritable, I'm not complaining. I can have what is called a joyful Christian spirit. I can approach those with a different belief, those who see the world differently than I do, and I can treat them with love. I can treat them with dignity. Why? Because I realize who I am. I realize it's not just something I have a head knowledge of. It's something I know in my heart. And here, too often, there's a lot of people that they stop there because they don't feel triumphant. Matter of fact, they feel the exact opposite. Maybe you're going through something right now where you feel absolutely the exact opposite you don't feel triumphant you feel trapped you feel like God I don't know what you're doing 
I don't know about you, but sometimes in life we make decisions where we say, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to get into my Bible reading, I'm going to pray, and just when we make those good, healthy decisions, all of a sudden it seems like life just starts to go bad. It seems like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. It's like you're driving down the street and you just kept catching every red light. And you're like, how am I just catching every red light? You're driving down Monterey Highway, and it just seems like you can't catch one green light. And you need to get somewhere, Krispy Kreme, at the plant. You're like, I need to get there now, and I'm catching all the red lights, and I can't get there fast enough. And so instead of, in those moments, we can start feeling trapped by what is going on in our life, instead of triumphant. But I've learned something, that I can't free somebody who's in a cage that they have made. And some of us, because of the thinking that we've allowed, some of the things that we've done, we put ourselves into our own cages. We are so careful nowadays about what we put in our mouth, aren't we? I mean, especially parents. You're always watching, what are your kids putting in their mouths? It's, it's, it's one of those things where you're constantly like, hey, how much sugar is in that? How much trans fat? Is that organic? Hey, where do we get that? So you're so careful what you put in your body, but I'm amazed at how unguarded our minds are. And the things we just allow to come into our minds, the things that we allow to influence us. And so instead of saying, you know what, Lord, I need to have a guard, not over just my mouth, but also over my mind, what I allow thinking. Because some of us, we're looking at the circumstances around happening in our country, and we just kind of given up. Or you're looking at the circumstances in your uh, job or your relationship, and you just feel like, well, maybe it's just time to give up. Instead of stepping back and saying, wait, no, I'm not going to allow myself to be put in a prison of my own making. I'm not going to do that. So with all that in mind, let's go to Exodus chapter number 14. Notice if you would, verse number one. And I love this passage of scripture, and I know it's so familiar to many of us, and if it doesn't seem familiar, it will in just a moment. Let's begin reading verse number one. The Bible says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Now remember, they have just left Egypt just three days ago. It's only three days that they have been free. And so they're loving this moment because they're free. All of a sudden, you got to think, you're the children of Israel, 430 years of hard labor and slavery and bondage. And all of a sudden, this guy Moses says, we're going, we're going to leave and we're going free. And then he says, by the way, we're going to go camp. You're like, yes, I've never been camping in 430 years. This is great. Let's go camping. And then he says, let's go camp by the beach. You're like, this is the best road trip ever. So you're excited. Man, for three days, you, you're just great. You're, you're coming off the, the emotional high of the fact that we are leaving Egypt and we are free and we're by the beach. We're just enjoying the fresh salt air. Notice verse number three. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and that the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. And he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one. 
And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? A little bit of sarcasm there. Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord when he shall accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Let's pray. Grace Assembly, Father, we just need you right now in this moment. Father, our country needs you. Our city needs you. The Bay Area needs you. And I know many times we can look around and we can get discouraged by what's happening. But Father, through your word, help us to realize that you are fighting. You're fighting a battle. And we will praise you. We will trust in you. Even when everything inside of us just feels trapped. And we just feel like we're going in the wrong direction. I pray now that your word would speak. May your spirit meet with us. Would you do what I can't do? Would you change hearts? Would you realign us with your purpose and plan? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we just read a passage of Scripture, and in this passage of Scripture, you got to understand, Moses was told by God to lead the children of Israel out to the Promised Land. From Egypt to the Promised Land is an 11-day journey. They are three days on this journey, but notice that God told Moses to lead the people, the children of Israel, on a very specific path. And if you were to take a map this evening and you were to draw out or trace out where the children of Israel were going, it would not be a straight line to a destination. Instead, it would be a zigzag pattern all over the wilderness. Thus being the reason why Pharaoh receives news saying the children of Israel, they don't know where they're going. They're just wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness. Like they're an easy target, Pharaoh. Let's go get our workforce back and let's bring them back. There was two million uh, free employees there. Let's go get them and bring them back into our factories, into our places where we can work. So let's go get them. Now, that's how Pharaoh and the Egyptians saw what was happening. But imagine if you're an Israelite, what your perspective on how things are going. If you're an Israelite, you're kind of thinking, this is kind of funny. It doesn't seem like we're really making good time. There's two million of us, and we kind of seem to be doing the zigzag, like, where are we going? And now we're kind of camped out here. Why do we camp out? How about let's put as much distance between us and Egypt as much as possible. So let's get going. Why are we sitting up camp? Why are we getting comfortable? Why are we stopping here? Because Egypt could change their mind, and right now, we're way too close to Egypt. And there's a reason. And many of you could feel exactly like the Israelites did because all of a sudden, verse number 10, 
they hear a sound of 600 choice chariots coming after them. And all the chariots of Egypt coming after them. And all of a sudden, something begins to happen. They were saying, wait a minute, we were following Moses, who said he was following God, so we were following God, and yet now Egypt is coming after us with chariots? Some of you may understand this. Some of you Bible scholars may understand that chariots represented what was the equivalent of a modern-day tank. I mean, if you had chariots, you could win the day. Chariots could, could have archers on it, could have spearmen on it. They, they could roll very quickly into battle, and they would just strike fear into the hearts of the enemy. So now you have 600 choice chariots along with every chariot coming, and they're coming into the camp. And all of a sudden, you're an Israelite, and you're thinking, wait a minute, God— you told me you were going to take me to a land flowing with milk and honey. You, you promised me something. But here I am, just three days, and all of a sudden I'm hearing the sound of an enemy army approaching us. God, I feel like you tricked me. And maybe that's how you feel tonight. That you feel like, man, I followed God, and I did what was right. I took a stand, and man, I feel tricked right now. And I feel like, God, you're not doing right by me. God, I gave at that end of the year offering, and guess what? I'm broke right now. God, I said I would go to church, and guess what? Now, every time I go to church, I get harassed because I go to church. Everybody around me says, oh, that's negligence, and that's irresponsible, and I just get all kinds of people just upset that I'm going to church. And maybe you're trying to live for God, and you're taking your lunch break, and at your lunch break, you open up your Bible, and you set it out so everybody can see it, and now everybody's mocking you, and people don't trust you, and some people don't want to be your friend, and instead of getting the promotion, they push it down. But I'm here to tell you, and you need to write this down, God didn't trick you, because you may feel like that. Let me speak to the young person who's not sure if they want to give out their all and surrender to God's will. I'm telling you, God is not there to trick you. He didn't trick you. As a matter of fact, God specifically tells Moses what to do. And you saw it in verse number one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Now I need you to understand something. The children of Israel knew what God was saying, but catch this, only Moses knew why God was saying it. And there's a difference between knowing what God is doing and knowing why God is doing it. You see, Moses knew the why. Israel only knew the what. And right now, many of you are frustrated and you're saying, God, you tricked me because you only know what God is doing. You don't know why God is doing. But you need to understand something. Moses knew the why because he got close to God. The closer you are to God, the more you understand what he's doing. Too often, I think God gets blamed for blessing us. Instead of the children of Israel being excited and, and upbeat that they are receiving this blessing, they're free. Now they're just blaming God. Notice the Bible even tells us very clearly that God came and had a reason for what he's doing. God told Israel what to do, but he told Moses why he was doing it. God will tell you what to do, but only those who are close to God will know why he is doing it. So how close are you to God? Because the closer you get to God, you'll realize he's not tricking me. He has not tricked me. He didn't trick me into marrying that person. He didn't trick me into taking that job. He didn't trick me into moving that city. When I was following God's lead and I got close to him, I understood what God was doing. And here's the reason. It's found in verse 3 and 4. God even lays it out for Moses. For Moses will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land and the wilderness has closed them in. 
You see, God was not trying to trick the Israelites. He's trying to trick the Egyptians. Do you see it? That's what he's trying to say. Hey, I want Pharaoh to believe that you're easy pickings because I'm not done with Pharaoh. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart one more time. You see, God was still working on the Egyptians. God was still doing something with them. And God is still working, just like the song we sang this evening. God is still working. But if you want to know what God is doing, you need to remember Psalms 25. It says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, those who draw close to God. In this season, when you say, I don't know what God is doing, get close to God. It's real easy to say, you know what, I just need to escape this. I just need to figure out a way around this. But instead, it's time to lean in. It's time to get close. You ever watch boxing or prize fighters? You know, they want to get close. When they don't know what to do, they actually get close in to the opposite boxer. Why? Because the blows don't hurt as much. Because it's hard to get any momentum in the punches. So they'll actually get even closer. Right now, when you're going through an uncomfortable situation, get closer to God. But our tendency when we're going through a difficult circumstance is to put more distance between God. Because we feel like God tricked us. And when you feel like God tricked you, you start to say, nah, I'm going to try something else instead of leaning in. But understand, God was not tricking them. But here's what happens. Immediately, because they feel tricked, they start giving into fear, don't they? And that's one thing I'm, I'm concerned by. I see so many Christians giving into fear nowadays. So many Christians. I know, there's, I know there's real fears out there. I'm not saying the Egyptians were fake news. I'm not saying that 600 torch chariots was not something to be afraid of. But they forgot that God was planning something. God was doing something. But what's happened now is fear is taking over and not a one of us make a good decision when we're afraid. Not one of us. As a matter of fact, we make some very poor decisions when we're afraid. And fear manifests itself in different ways. You see, I don't feel afraid. No, but insecurity is a part of fear. You know that, right? Insecurity is a part of fear. Inferiority is a part of fear. There's lots of things attributed to fear that you don't know is fear, but it is. Your anxiety is attributed to fear. Your depression is attributed to fear. You may not think you're afraid, but understand, depression, anxiety, insecurity, trace their roots to their father is fear. And so you and I need to understand tonight that you say, I don't think I'm afraid, but we are. And when we're afraid, we make very poor decisions, very poor decisions. As a matter of fact, your brain is not capable of making a good decision because you have what's called the fight or flight mechanism in your brain. That you're either going to fight, and when you fight, the adrenaline picks up. And sometimes, those of you who raised teenagers, you know this, you'll ask your kids when they came home from school and you found out they got in a fight and said, why did you get in a fight? I don't know why I got in that fight. And to be honest, your teenage boy does not know why he got that fight. Or I know some of you raised some uh, tough girls, so your teenage girl may have been the fighter, and they say, I don't know, because their brain, adrenaline is just rushing through their brain. They don't know that to make rational decisions. That's not what's going through, because it's fight or flight. And so you can't think. And right now, so many Christians are making very poor decisions, and they're distancing themselves from God. And that's what the children of Israel are doing. They just watched God do 10 miraculous plagues, and then they watched as God led them out of Egypt. And already, just two chapters later, 
What are they telling Moses? Hey, didn't we tell you just leave us here in Egypt to let us die? Wouldn't it be better if we just died in Egypt? What are they doing? Their brain is not thinking, is it? Because how does the book of Exodus start out? And they cried to God by the torment of their taskmasters. And they're saying, God, save us. Send us a deliverer. They had already forgotten. You know, I find that many of us, we come to church on Sunday, but by Monday we're saying, oh man, it just would have been better I wasn't a Christian. What happened on Sunday? You were praising Jesus, arms stretched out in worship, but by Monday afternoon, you're already saying, oh, I don't know if this whole Christian thing's worth it. What happened? So before we're too hard on the Israelites, remember, we do the exact same thing, don't we? So we've got to lean in and say, God, I need to know the why. And God will share that secret. But today, it seems like paranoia is the new norm. Fear is the new norm. I just watch people walk around in fear. And this has nothing to do with a mask. It has nothing to do with politics. It has to say with you and I, if we were to sit down over a cup of coffee, six feet apart, with social distancing, and I were to ask you, hey, how are you handling everything? Are you afraid? Have you let fear in? Are you making these decisions that's just knee-jerk decisions? Or have you said, God, help me through this. God, give me courage. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's what God has given us. But how many of us, we don't have the spirit of a sound mind. What is that sound mind? It means a mind that can think clearly. It's a mind that says, I know the decisions I'm making. This is not irrational. And many of us, we, we, we can be prone to irrational decisions when we're afraid. But God is doing something. So I need you to understand, God isn't trying to trick you. He's trying to trick the Egyptians. And it worked. Pharaoh falls for it. But then you say, but I still feel trapped, Pastor. Because in this passage, that's what Pharaoh thought. Pharaoh thought the Egyptian or the Israelites are trapped because the Red Sea was in front of them. And they had two mountains on either side. We mentioned it in the scripture. Pihahiroth and the other one was Baal Zephor. And so they're right in the middle. And Egypt's like, this is going to be easy pickings. They're going to have to surrender to us. And so I can see why Egypt, why the Israelites felt trapped. Notice you would, verse number 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, why have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Here's what's so interesting. The pillar of fire that was leading them and the nation felt safe. But then the panic starts. You know, there's a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that was leading them. What an amazing thing is you're walking through the wilderness. You just look up and here's this pillar of fire and this cloud. But when did they become afraid? It says, and when they looked up and they saw the Egyptians. Okay, you have this pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to look to. You ever heard this term? Uh, eyes on the, right? Because our focus determines our future. So what you look at, what you fixate on is going to affect your feelings. So instead of the children of Israel keeping their eyes on the pillar of fire and on the cloud, which is a visible, tangible representation of God's power, Instead, what are they looking for? They heard a sound of chariots, and it looked up, 
and then they started looking at the chariots. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Peter sank in the waves. Why? Because was he looking at Jesus or the storm? He looked at the storm and he sunk. You and I, our feelings are going to give in to fear, anxiety. We're going to give in to panic because what are we looking at? What are we gazing at? There's another term I could use. Gazing is like grazing, okay? It's feeding you. It's interesting that they call your social media feed a feed. And it's amazing that it can affect you. You know that feed can affect you. Your house was perfectly fine until you saw a post by Chip and Joanna Gaines. All of a sudden, you're like, honey, we got to burn it down and start all over. This is a dump. I just can't live here. Your house or your wardrobe was just fine until you saw your best friend come out with their brand new wardrobe. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm going shopping. I don't care if I can't afford it. I'm going to go. Your car was just fine until your best friend bought a new car. Then all of a sudden, your car wasn't good anymore. Isn't it amazing how fickle our feelings are? And here, the children of Israel, they were looking at the wrong thing. The Bible constantly is giving us an illustration to remind us to look to Jesus. That's where our salvation. From whence comes my help? Comes from the mountains? No. I will look to Jesus from where comes my help. It comes from Jesus. Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the cross. It, it's looking. It's this idea that we constantly look to Jesus. But we live in a day and age where you ask Christians, what are you looking at? Where are you spending time with, with your time? And I'll be honest, one hour a week is not nearly enough to combat everything you're faced with in life right now. It's not enough. So you and I have to this year say, God, I'm going to get to church. I'm not only going to get to church. I'm going to get in your word. I'm going to get in a life group. I'm going to get a devotional plan. God, I'm going to be praying because I know that what I am facing is so great that I can't settle for this. I can't. I was reading a book this past week, and they were talking about a famous baseball player, and they was talking about him, and everybody was like, oh, he has such a natural swing, such a natural swing. And he was like, that's interesting that you think I have a natural swing, because I swing a bat 600 times a day, 600 times a day, so that when I do step up to the plate, I'm ready to hit a home run. He said, I trained, and I got ready for it. You and I, we just kind of show up to battle, not even ready. You went to work, and you weren't even spiritually ready to face a boss who you know is grouchy, to face the secretary who you know is always irritable. You, you weren't even ready to face that person that always persecutes you for your faith. You and I, we cannot go out to face this world not ready for it. You know it's coming, so why are we tricked by it? We know that Satan wants to trick us. We know he wants to trap us. But yet you and I, we just kind of give in. Instead of saying, I'm going to focus on what God wants. Uh, many years ago, my dad and I, uh, our cars broke down. We bought old cars, and uh, so we would have to go and fix them. And for whatever reason, he didn't want to call a buddy to drive him to Pet Boys to go get the part. Instead, he says, Micaiah, let's go grab our bikes, and let's bike a couple miles to the part shop, and let's go buy the part. I was like, fine, that'll be cool. Let's go on a bike ride. So we ride our bikes to Pet Boys, several miles from my house. The trip's going great. On the way back, you can see my street from my house, and I hear a car behind I'm coming up behind us. So I look, and when I look, I didn't realize that because I looked, my handlebars followed, my whole body followed as I looked back right into my dad's bike. 
There we were on the street. We both wiped out, and he was a little bit upset, just, just a little bit upset. He was like, Bakaya, what were you doing? And I was like, oh, I got distracted. I looked over there, and we crashed. I think too often we're crashing our life because of where we're looking, because we're not focused on Jesus. We're not saying, God, I, I need to stay focused on you right now. If Israel would have just said, yeah, let, those, let the chariots come on. I mean, let them, let them, because I know God's going to do something. I know God's going to work in this moment. I know God's going to bring a great, a, a great breakthrough. And maybe right now you feel like, I don't know what God is doing. I just feel trapped. I want you to write down that, yes, you do feel trapped. It's just a feeling that you're feeling right now. You see, the enemy shows up. And I think this is what happens. The enemy showed up, and they were having a great time, weren't they? Camping out, having a bonfire, singing Kumbaya. Somebody had some uh, s'mores going, you know, and uh, uh, they, were, they were just having a great time by the beach. And all of a sudden, here come the chariots, and there goes their peace. They were having a great time, but then the peace was gone, wasn't it? You see, what the enemy wants to do is the enemy is trying to kill the peace that you have right now. Some of you don't have any peace right now. And that means the enemy's won. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Jesus left us something. He left us his peace. But how many Christians do you know who are like, I need a little bit more of my antidepressants. I need to talk to my therapist. I need a little bit of liquid courage. So I got to drink a little bit more. I got to eat a little bit more. What happened to peace? My peace I leave with you. He left it with us. And many of us did what he did. We left it somewhere else. We're like, yeah, I left it somewhere. I had it at church, but then I leave it there. No, no, pack your peace with you, okay? Bring your peace with you to work. Don't let it, because that's what Satan's after. He wants to get your peace. So the enemy was winning the war against the Israelites before the chariots ever showed up to fight. The enemy was already winning. And the enemy is already winning in the lives of most Christians who are just afraid to even be Christians right now who are afraid to speak out, to say, you know what? There's a God, and we need to follow him right now. There's a God, and he gave me some standards to stand on right now. There's a God, and I need to work for him. There is a price, and I'll pay it. There's a time that I've got to follow Jesus. But instead, we've got a lot of Christians right now, and I'm sad to say it, who have no peace, and the world is looking for peace, and you're not going to find it in a new uh, uh, political system, you are not going to find it in somebody handing you money. The only place you will find true, lasting peace is in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to find peace. But the enemy's done a great job of taking our peace. He's done a great job. There are churches across this land empty because, why, the Christians are afraid. They left their peace. Like, oh, I, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if we should do that. I don't know if we should go there. We, and, and they have no peace. Instead of understanding, no, there is a peace in following Jesus. See, Satan is there. He's threatening our peace. But then here's the best part. Man, I love this passage. You say, why? Because the Bible says this in verse number 13. Would you look at it one more time? And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still. Why would he tell them to stand still? Because they're about to run. They're about to just go crazy. So he says, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stop looking at the chariots. I know they're coming after you. I know there's 600. I know they're choice chariots. And some of you just feel like life is bearing down on you. But then 
God does something. The Lord will fight for you. Hold your peace. Why? Because God didn't trap you. You say, what do you mean God didn't trap you? You need to understand that you and I know how this story plays out. The Red Sea is going to part. It's going to open. The children of Israel are going to walk through. So when the children of Israel walk through, who is now trapped? The Israelites or the Egyptians? The Egyptians. You see, you think you're trapped, but you're not. You see, God is actually working out. God is actually doing it. Write this down. God is actually turning the tables. You see, the very people that were drowning their babies are about to drown in the Red Sea. That's why you can't fight against the law of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For what's where men soweth, that shall they also reap. Isn't it just kind of poetic justice that the very nation that said any boy two and under needs to be drowned in the Nile River is now going to drown in the Red Sea? God doesn't do anything by accident. God is trying to give a picture that says, hey, don't go against my people. Don't go against what I'm trying to do. See, God turns the table. You say, how did God turn the tables? Verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So all of a sudden, now the children of Israel, get this, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that was leading them goes behind them. So you've got the mountains and the water. Now they're protected. You feel trapped, but God's like, no, I'm going to turn the tables, and you're going to be protected. I'm going to work this thing out. So now the pillar of fire is behind them, and it's a protection. And the Bible says, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. Then the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overflowed through the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. Question for you, church. Who made it through the Red Sea? Israel. Israel. You and I are going to make it through. We're going to make it through. But who didn't? The Egyptians. Who is the trap really set for? Not for you, but for the enemy. So right now you say, I feel trapped. No, no, no. God didn't set that trap for you. That's not for you. It's because God is trying to deal with those things that are coming against you. You see, the ones that were tormented are finally triumphant. But I want you to notice some things specifically here. First of all, you say, why would God drown them? Because God wanted to drown their present danger. You see, God knows what's threatening you. There was a present danger, and God says, I'm going to drown that. But not only did God drown their present danger, 
God also, the Bible says not one of them survived, meaning that God also drowned any potential danger. So not only is the present danger gone, but any potential danger is gone. The Bible says, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? You see, God took the sting of death. We have nothing to fear. Death was that great thing that you and I used to have to fear. We used to have to fear it. We have to, used to have to fear that present uh, uh, threat of it. But even the potential of it is gone. See, God is dealing with not only your present threats, but also any potential. But not only that, the children, they walk through the Red Sea. They get to the other side, and what does God do? He closes it. Why? Because God not only drowned any present danger, any potential danger, but God also drowned their passage to go back. How are the children of Israel to go back? Because we're going to study the next couple chapters, they're going to want to go back. How many have read Exodus and you know that they, they want to go back a couple other times? Yes, they do. But God drowned their way that they can't go back. They call this that moment where it's like, you know what? We're, we're going we're, we're gonna, to, we're gonna, this is the cross of the Rubicon, okay? This is Rome where, where uh, Caesar burns the boats and burns the bridges and says, hey, there's no retreat. There's no going back. You see, there's got to come a point in your life and in my life where we say, God, you need to drown any option for me to go back to that old life. That, God, you got to cut it off. So maybe i got to cut off some old relationships that pull me back into a sinful lifestyle. So, God, you, you took away the danger, but also, God, you took away my passage to go back. That's gone as well. And some of us, we're always looking for a passage back. You see, God held back the tide. God turned the tables, and he's working in your life and in mine. So forget you and I feeling tricked, you and I feeling trapped, because God's turning these tables around, because God doesn't want you to go back to some old things in 2020. He wants you to look ahead and say, you know what? There's a new path forward. There's the way forward. But now let's spend the last few minutes that we have together. Let's just kind of look at this. This miracle is an incredible miracle. It's one that people that didn't even grow up in church are familiar with the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. You may have heard this story before you ever became a Christian. Or this may have been one of the first stories that you ever read or a sermon that you ever heard preached. But this whole miracle started by a movement. You see, the children of Israel, the waters part, but the miracle happened because they weren't afraid to move. But what fear does is fear keeps you from moving. Fear just gets you to stand locked, and you're scared, and you're nervous, and you just don't want to move. And you have no movement, and you just want to stay. And some of us, we're not moving forward. We're not going forward for God. We're not progressing in our spiritual life because we've been locked in fear. But the miracle only happened because of their movement, because they were willing to move forward. The Bible says this, verse 29, But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day. You see, God opened a way, and then he closed the way. But notice this. The children of Israel, they didn't celebrate when God opened the way. That's not when they celebrated if you have your Bible, take it at Exodus chapter 15, one passage. Just flip the page real quick. And notice, if you would, first part of the first verse. It says this. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spake, saying. It's interesting to me that they didn't start bursting out into song until God closed the way, not when he opened it. 
You would think that they would be all excited when God opens up their rescue. But that's not when they sang and worshiped God. They sang and worshiped God when he actually closed it. Meaning this, they were thankful for closed doors. They were grateful for when God said, no, you're not going there. They were thankful when God said, no, you're not going to marry him or her. No, you're not going to have that job. No, you're not going to get that person in office. No, you're not going to get this. No, that's not going to happen. And instead of complaining and whining and being upset about it, what did they do when God closed the door? They praised him. You see, that's the mindset you and I don't have that we need, that we say, God, thank you. Thank you because there's something else you're trying to do. And you, you went to all these lengths by saying no to that job, saying no to that move, saying no to that person, that I was devastated. But Lord, I didn't see what you were doing, that there's a miracle if I move forward on where you're leading me. And so I will go forward where you open the way. I've told this illustration before, but I'll share it again. Out here, we don't have as many anymore, but we used to have uh, Long John Silvers. How many remember eating at Long John Silvers? Okay, it was an okay uh, fast food fish place. I don't think the concept is such a big deal, but on the East Coast, they have Captain D's. Anybody ever heard of Captain D's East Coast? Hey, a few of you know Captain D's on the East Coast. Okay, so there is a dish that they try to serve. It's an Atlantic cod, okay? It's an Atlantic cod, and they try to serve it at their fast food restaurant. And uh, used to be we ate other fish, but then cod just became really a big deal. And we wanted it here on the West Coast, but then they noticed that when they would ship it and they would freeze dry it and package it and ship it and then we deep fry it out here and serve it, it tasted gross. Nobody liked it. So they said, hey, we're going to get some big tankers and put the Atlantic cod fresh in those tankers and ship it out to us. Then it'll be nice and fresh and then we'll cook it and fry it and prep it and it'll be delicious. They did that and by the time it got there and they cooked it, they fried it and it, still it was just as gross. But then they found that by placing a couple of the natural enemies inside that Atlantic cod, just a few fish that they would drop in those tankers, the whole way the fish would just move the whole time. They would just keep moving all through that water the whole time that they were going from the East Coast to the West Coast. So by the time they got here and they cooked them, they were fresh because movement keeps us fresh. It kept them healthy. God is trying to keep you moving, keeping you fresh, keeping you healthy. And some of us, because of fear, we're so locked that we don't want to move forward. When the miracle happened because they were willing to move. You see, Christians and Americans are, are, are like, we're willing to give up so much in the name of safety and security. And we're not willing to move. And you have a lot of people not willing to move. I mean, yes, there's people that don't want to leave their house, but more important, they don't want to move and progress in their spiritual walk. This is bigger than you leaving your house. This is bigger than you won't go to a restaurant or you won't go outdoors. This is bigger than all that. What this is about is you are not progressing your spiritual growth, that God wants you to move forward. But yet we have a group of Christians that they feel tricked and they feel trapped. And so therefore, they, because they feel that way, they're not progressing their spiritual life. They're not saying, God, what is the more that you're calling me to? God, where are you leading me to? You see, God is saying, it's time for the church to be like the Israelites and to move, even though it's scary. I could not imagine walking through the Red Sea. I've got this weird thing about the ocean. I don't know about you, you may love the ocean. When Jane and I were on our honeymoon, she wanted to really go scuba diving. And I thought this is the worst idea ever 
because I saw the movie Jaws, and every scuba diver gets eaten by Jaws. So I was like, that's a dumb idea. I mean, we've been married 10 days, and I kind of really like you, so I don't, I don't want to, like, leave this earth just yet and go scuba diving. And so everybody's all excited. And I was like, well, it's Hawaii, so you can see the water and, and the water. But no, this captain decides to take us really far out in the boat, and so the water got really dark. And I was like, this ain't cool. I can't see what's down there. And he's like, put on all your stuff and jump in. You're going to be first. I was like, no, that's not cool. The first one, don't you? I've seen this movie. It's the one who goes down the dark hallway first to go check out things. That's the one who dies. It's the one who jumps out of the boat first. That's the one who gets eaten. So no, thank you. I'm not down with that. Well, the punchline is I did survive, but it was still a traumatic experience. I refused to go scuba diving again. It was just something about being in. It was like watching the fish tank, but reverse. It was like the fish are watching you, and you're just kind of in their element, like, oh, we could eat you. You make a nice little snack. Not a very big snack, kind of like fun size, you know, fun size snack, you know. And so instead, in that moment, man, you just feel so small. You feel so insignificant, and all of a sudden, you're just saying, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And right now, you may feel, God, I just feel like, Lord, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't want to move forward. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this right now. And God is saying it's time that you face that. And let me work in that situation. Because right now, you don't understand that fear is subject. Your fear is subjective. Many of us don't know that fear is subjective. You say, what do you mean fear is subjective? Let me back up. You see, in this passage, what were they most afraid of? They were most afraid of the chariots. But wait a minute. Hold on now. Now you're afraid of chariots? I can go two chapters earlier and you were afraid of your taskmasters. But now you're saying the chariots are your biggest fear? So which is it? Is it your taskmasters? Is it the chariots? Or is it Pharaoh? Because your fears are changing. You ever met that person? Their fear is subjective? I'm going to tell you what that means. It's actually an excuse. You're not really afraid. You just don't want to do it. You just don't want to go forward. You're just fighting God the whole way. That's all it really is. You are just fighting God. And you will pick anything that you can because fear is subjective. And they were willing to say, oh, we're, we're really afraid of our taskmasters. Okay, you're out of Egypt now. Oh, well, we're actually really afraid of chariots. <laughs> Sorry, we have a chariot phobia. Chirobia is what it's called. Like, I just came up with it. It's brand new. What happened? And now they're even telling Moses, hey, this is what we told you would happen. We told you it's just better we just be left in Egypt. That's a lie. They never told Moses that. As a matter of fact, they were all really happy when we read it to last week, how excited they were that they got to leave Egypt. But can I tell you this? I'm meeting so many Christians who are playing the exact same game. Oh, pastor, I just, I just don't know about that whole church thing. Okay, then join me online. Oh, I just, I, I don't know how to work a computer. Okay, it's on your phone. Oh, uh, I, do, I have a flip phone. No, you don't. I see your phone right there. You were checking Instagram. Like, it, it's all becoming just a subjective thing that you just don't want to serve God. You just don't want to follow God. Instead of saying, you know what? There will always be something that I can be afraid of. There always will be. There will always be a reason not to follow God. If you're looking for a reason, you will find it. If you're looking for an excuse not to grow, you will find it. If you are looking for a reason to get out of church, guess what? The government just gave it to you. They gave you a free pass to not have to come to church and feel like a good citizen. And lots of people have taken up on that. 
And lots of people, you ask them, man, hey, join us online. Oh, well, I don't know. I got a lot of things going on. What? So God has no more, no, no more space in your life anymore. Can you do a podcast? Do you commute to work? You can't, no, you can't do that. Can you open up a Bible? Can you, can you get a devotional? Can you, can, you, can you get something? No. It's subjective. And you need to understand that about your fear. It's subjective. It'll change. Today, it's COVID for many of us. Let's just be honest. I'm not here to COVID shame. I'm just saying for many of us, we're afraid of COVID. Maybe not in this room, but in other places. That's their big fear. Can I tell you something? Next year, it's going to be something else. You know, maybe some of you, you all look really young and, and, and really, really, really young, so you probably don't remember this, but you used to, back in the day, you used to have these air raid drills where you'd have to prepare against a, a nuclear bombing. And so what they would do in school, you would do a nuclear bombing test, okay? Some of you are nodding your head. You don't look as old, but you remember this, where they would make you climb under your desk, which I think is hilarious because a nuclear bomb, you're going to be vaporized. That desk ain't doing nothing unless they made that desk out of something that's just incredible, okay? like adamantium or something you know they just that that's that's a crazy desk but why we were afraid of that I read a study recently that said horror movies are just based on whatever that generation fears so there was a generation in the 70s and it was all about how we were afraid of children yeah and they watched that the population actually decreased people stopped having as many kids because you would have these weird movies that would come out, Children of the Corn. You would have all these weird movies about kids that were just evil. And you were just like, I ain't having kids. No, no. So our, our, there's always a new thing to be afraid of. Right now, you're like, well, it was a few years ago. It was zombies. We're all afraid of zombies. And that didn't really happen. Except in Florida where the guy would eat homeless people's faces, you know. And it's like, but here, not wide scale. But there will always be something to be afraid of. So either you and I make the decision that, you know what, I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to figure out, God, how do I go forward? Because there's always going to be something. Because there's this trick that's going on nowadays that, guess what? You don't have to trust God. You can just sign away your rights and freedoms, and guess what? You'll be secure and safe. Just sign it away. You know how people are just signing up for that one? Yeah, I'll just sign away my rights and freedoms. I'll sign up for that. And it's a false sense of security. Do you know who's going to ultimately do that and is going to fool everybody? His name's the Antichrist. He's going to come and he's going to tell the whole world, I can solve everybody's problems. Just do it my way. Just bow down and worship me. You see, Christians, we're getting prepped for that. This whole, this whole thing is just prep for what we know is when we read Revelation, what is about to happen. But how many Christians were so afraid now? What do you think is going to happen when the son of perdition is revealed? There's a whole lot of Christians that are going to be like, well, I, I really value safety and security, so I'm just going to go along with it. Oh, you're willing to, you, you say, Pastor Micaiah, aren't you making a stretch? Yeah, right now I am. In a few years, I probably won't be. In a few years, this actually might sound prophetic because many Christians are getting so accustomed to just giving up on their rights and freedoms and just saying, hey, I'll let somebody else do it for me. Instead of saying, you know what, no. God didn't trick me. He didn't trap me. God's going to turn the tables, and I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do what God has called me to. That's why this year, that's my word for the year, that we're to move forward. I'm just as nervous about things. I'm just as upset about things. 
But I know that the moment I get into the Bible, the moment I just fix my gaze on Jesus, and I just say, you know what? I am following Jesus. This is what I'm called to. And this is what our church is for. This is why we're here. This is why we take a stand. Fines, no fines. Uh, pressure from the county, no pressure from the county. This is what we're here for, and it's making our church stronger. It's making you stronger. You see, that's why God has used our church, because our church has been faithful, our church has been flexible, and our church has been fearless. Our church has decided that, you know, we're going we're gonna to do things a little bit differently. Yes, we care about people, but we understand there's something bigger out there, and we're going to stand for it, and we're going to see God do some of his wonders. If you are paralyzed by a pandemic, you won't ever move. If you are overwhelmed by obstacles, you won't move. But this is a Red Sea moment. It's a Red Sea moment that God is saying it's time to walk through. But there's a whole lot of people just standing at the seashore, just saying, I don't want to go forward. But I notice what's amazing is the fact that God, I don't know if, remember where the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was? It was behind the Israelites, in between Israel and Egypt. I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if that pillar of fire had to kind of push some of the stragglers. You ever got too close to a fire? And you're like, ooh, that's hot. That's hot. Oh, hold, hold up. Hey, that's hot. Cool it. Cool it. You ain't moving fast enough. I don't know about you, but is that what it takes? God's got to turn up the heat to get us to move? Is that really what, it, what God, God has to do? God's like, just move forward. And you're like, oh, ho, oh, hold up, hold up. Turn it down a couple notches. Come on, pillar of fire. Cool it. God's like, I'm the pillar of fire. I, I don't cool. I just get hotter. But many times as Christians, that's where we find ourselves. And do we, are we making God have to push us to cross? Or why can't we just be like, yes, let's do this. Let's go forward and let's see what God's going to do. Let's be the generation that sees the Red Sea. Man, fishing was never so easy. Just reach your hand in the wall and just grab a fish. It was right there. So easy to go crab fishing. Crab just right there. Just reach and just, oh, they're Jewish. They weren't allowed to eat crabs. Never mind. Put that back. That's not kosher. Put that back. But yet you and I, we can learn so much. This is our Red Sea moment. This is the moment where God is saying, you weren't tricked, you weren't trapped. The Red Sea was there not to drown them, but to cleanse them, to purify them. And it was to wash away the Egyptians totally from their life. And what does Egypt represent? We learned it last week, a picture of the world. And God wanted to wash it away. And I love that idea, when you wash it away. I bought a new shirt this week, and my wonderful son, Cain, was eating spaghetti, no chili. And then he just put his hand gently on my arm with my new white shirt. And I looked down, and then he just took it off. But yet you could see the residue that remained to stain that shirt. I was like, what a blessing. And he was like, I love you, Daddy. I was like, I'm so upset, but I couldn't be because he was so cute when he did it. And it's like, man, it's stained. And then my wife washed it. What a wonderful wife that washed her clothes. I'm telling you what, if that's the best benefit of a wife, that's a blessing, all right? And they wash their clothes and they get the stains out. That's one of many. But this idea of washing. God says, I want to wash that sin out of your life, never to come back. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe this is your Red Sea moment. This is the moment that it's time to cross over. This is the moment where you say, God is calling me. He's brought me to this moment. God is leading me to this moment. And God is calling me out. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to please come to the platform. 
as we prepare for an invitation. And maybe you just need to come to God and confess that you felt tricked in your life. You felt tricked. Maybe tonight some of you got invited here and you felt like you got tricked. You were told that you're coming to hang out with something, do something fun, and you end up at church. Maybe you feel tricked. Maybe you feel trapped. But maybe it's time to say, God, what tables are you trying to turn? And I'm going to move forward. I'm going to let you do your work. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here this evening and you're just saying, man, I've been super discouraged. And I'm just, my heart is heavy. And I do feel a little bit trapped or tricked by things. Pastor, would you just pray for me? With heads bowed and eyes closed and you just slip up a hand, could I pray for you? I see that hand and that hand. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. I see hands from each section. God bless you. More than I see your hand, God sees that hand. And in just a moment, we're going to open up this old-fashioned altar. And I'm going to invite you. Maybe you want to make an altar right there in your seat. You want to pray and talk to your God. Or you want to come kneel at the front and talk to God here. Wherever you feel comfortable. But I don't like coming on a Sunday and not meeting with God, not hearing from God. And so right now, we're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to worship. Or maybe you say, I've never asked Jesus Christ in my heart. And tonight, you want to receive Jesus Christ, your Savior. I'll be down at the front. You can come talk to me, and I'd love to pray with you. How you can know that Jesus is your Savior and, home, and heaven is your home. So right now, as we sing and we prepare to worship God, I'm going to invite you to slip out of your seat. Come forward and take some time and meet with God. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.